0: This episode of Nocturne is brought to you with the support of HelloFresh. HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Get $35 off your first week of deliveries by going to HelloFresh.com and using promo code NOCTURNE. Each week, they create new, delicious recipes with easy step-by-step directions that anyone can make in around 30 minutes. HelloFresh sources the freshest ingredients measured to the exact amounts needed, so there's no guilt about throwing away wasted food. A box came right to our front door as we were struggling with what to make for dinner. It was like opening a little treasure chest. Pretty portabella. Portobello burgers and sweet potato fries. Oh my god, we are making that. Basil. Go to hellofresh.com and use the promo code oh. Nocturne. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. Risotto. risotto. The magic risotto. Put it back together so that we know what. Work in Progress is a new weekly show from Slack about the meaning and identity we find in work, featuring deep, personal, funny stories not only about what we do for a living or how we do it, but why. You'll hear about a cab driver who in the 1830s escaped enslavement in Kentucky and found freedom in Toronto driving a hackney cab. And from a man who was a professional snap traveler on Snapchat.
1: Kennedy Space Center came up on the caller ID, and this is the most important phone call your mom's ever going to get in her whole life. I'm really good at Snapchat. You know, how can I make money there? So you're telling me there is a secret radio station by cabbies for cabbies?
0: Yeah. Work in Progress is hosted by Dan Meisner and can be heard on Sirius XM, iTunes, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about Work in Progress at slack.com slash podcast or on Twitter, at Slack Stories. You're listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Picture it. You're biking along a winding country road, 30 miles from the nearest town. The air is cool, there's a slight wind, maybe a gentle mist. It's three o'clock in the morning. A half-moon casts shadows and illuminates the landscape. Scattered trees, a barn, a gurgling creek down below the road. Around a bend, you enter a tunnel of tree canopy, and the moon disappears. Now you're riding through blackness. A small circle from your bike light, the only thing keeping you upright and moving forward. You hear the sounds of the tires, the chain, rustles from the bushes as you fly by. You've been awake for 23 hours. For most people, when they think about hardcore cycling, they think the Tour de France and professional racing. The Tour de France consists of 21 day-long segments, with sleep in between. But there's a different breed of cyclists who aim to cover as much distance as possible in a single day, proving themselves to be Audax, or Audacious. The first Audax cycling event took place at the end of the 19th century, with a 230-kilometer daytime ride from Rome to Naples. Within the sport, a single ride is called a randonnee or Brevet, And any rider who has completed the minimum ride of 200 kilometers is called a randonneer. Once you become a randonneer, you hold the title for life. Over time, the sport took on the name randonneering, and the rides got longer. So rather than audaciously covering as much distance as possible in a single day, continuous multi-day rides became the goal. And this meant riding, much of the time, through the night.
1: My name is Rob Hawks. I'm the Regional Brevet Administrator of the San Francisco Randonneurs. Uh, This is a sport that was originally begun as a group ride where all the riders in the group went the same pace. Now, basically anybody can ride at their own pace. So within our group, sometimes there are people that'll group together and stick together for the entire ride, but everybody is on their own as far as the pace goes, really. This is another key aspect of randonneuring, where you have a set route and you follow that route and at certain points along the route you get something that's known as a proof of passage. Basically, it's some documentation that says you were there. We usually ask them to go buy something and they come back with a receipt. And the receipt will have a timestamp, and it will have the, the business name and address and uh, that'll be their proof of passage. In other cases, we ask them to do things like mail a postcard from there or answer a question that they can only answer when they're standing in that location. So they'll go around and hit these checkpoints, these controls, and acquire their proof of passage and then return to the finish. And then they're to have finished within a certain amount of time they're supposed to hit these controls within a certain amount of time too. And it's all meant to keep riders moving along and the time limits are really not that onerous. They're, they're pretty generous. So most riders can f- finish this. It's still a challenge for a lot of people, uh, but it's, it's a doable challenge.
0: One of the more distinctive things about randonneering compared to other cycling sports is that its focus is on personal challenge and camaraderie. Not competition. While riders push themselves relentlessly through physical pain and extreme conditions, in the end, nobody wins.
1: It's essentially, did you finish? You're on the list. When we list results, we list them alphabetically. There's a time when the finish control will open and then a time when it'll close. Everybody that finishes within that time frame, they get listed as a finisher.
0: The Holy Grail of Randonneering is a ride in France that takes place every four years. It's 1,200 kilometers and started as a race.
1: paris brest That is a race that was older than the Tour de France. It's no longer a race. Sometime in the middle of the last century, the popularity of it as a race diminished considerably And yet at the same time, there were a lot of amateurs that wanted to participate in that. The race just ceased to to be a race, and it was sort of taken over by Randonneuring, where it ended up being the goal for a lot of Randonneurs.
0: So rather than racing to the finish, Randonneurs were given a time limit of 90 hours to complete the 1200 kilometers. Riders come from all over the world to participate in this ride that takes up to four days and nights to complete. In the intervening years, most randonneurs spend time enjoying the shorter qualifying rides that need to be completed in order to go to paris press paris or PBP. They can be done in any order. The shortest rides are 200 and 300 kilometers.
1: The next challenge is the 400 kilometer. And it's a rare person that can finish that in daylight. It's almost everyone is going to finish well after dark. And that's probably one that people consider the hardest, even though there's a longer one involved. Um, it's probably hardest because most people are going to try and do it without stopping for a rest break of substance. You know, And by that, I mean, you know, people aren't getting a hotel room or they're not going to a campground or they're not camping out or anything like that. They're riding that straight through. And again, depending upon the route, uh, people are gonna finish that in 15 to 25-ish hours.
0: Even though randonnées are not competitive rides, that doesn't mean that riders don't push themselves hard to go as fast as they can, especially at Paris-Brest Paris.
1: People that are attempting to finish first, they'll take between 40 and 50 hours to finish. This past year in 2015, PBP was held again and the first finisher I think finished in 43 hours and 15 minutes, something like that. There are very few people that can do that event in that kind of time. Most people are taking between 80 and 90 hours, and there's a time limit, an upper limit of 90 hours. We don't have a first place or a second place or a last place. You know, There are people that take less time than other people. That's the way that we look at it. There's maybe one exception to that. American writers that have gone to France to do PBP, there's a, a group that you can belong to, the Charlie Miller Society. And Charlie Miller was an American participant in PBP decades ago, and he finished in a pretty fast time. It's, it's 56 hours and 40 minutes, maybe. And so any American that finishes in that time or less can belong to that group.
0: Max Paletto belongs to the group of randonneurs who've achieved Charlie Miller status. Max was a bit bashful about the distinction. When I met him, I let him know that some of the other guys I spoke to seemed to revere him a little.
2: I don't know why that is, but I, I guess I have sometimes been a Randonneering celebrity. It's pretty weird. Charlie Miller, is uh, it's a silly thing. Uh, basically, if you finish V.P. in under the Charlie Miller time, then you achieve Charlie Miller status, which means that your name goes into some website. And so, yeah, last year I rode it in 53 and a half hours. Uh, So it's a night start, or an afternoon start, I should say. I did not sleep on the first night. I slept a little bit on the second night. But sleep is a relative term.
0: When you talk to Randonneers about the PBP, it's not unusual for folks to report the number of times they've completed the ride along with the number of times they've attempted it.
1: I have attempted it twice and completed it once. I've completed it twice, I've attempted it three times.
0: There are all sorts of reasons why people don't complete the ride. Like broken bikes, injuries, stomach ailments, oversleeping, it's exciting and challenging, but it's also punishing.
2: Uh, Yes, you know, I mean, uh... uh, I think people refer to this as type 2 fun, the fun that uh, might not be sort of immediately pleasurable while you're doing it, but then in retelling it becomes sort of more and more fun. And uh, there's a lot of that in randonneuring. I mean, you know, there's a sort of cycling along on a sunny day with the poppies and the nice breeze, and and there's some of that. But then there's also a lot of type 2 fun where you're sort of gritting your teeth and, like, wondering while you're doing it, but then the moment you stop, you think, oh, you know, that was some... accomplishment or it was, especially fun or somehow meaningful.
0: Much of that type 2 fun involves riding through isolated darkness on the longer routes.
2: In general, I like riding at night, especially in places like Sonoma or Mendocino and sort of Northern California wine country. I often feel that night is safer. There are just fewer cars.
0: In fact, drunk humans are by far one of the greatest threats to randonneurs.
1: The very first 600K that I did, I was riding with a friend. I kind of got unsettled by being out in the middle of nowhere, uh, in the middle of the night, without too many oases to go stop at. The big thing that unsettled me was that the the night before and then through the night, we were harassed by motorists who... um, would honk at us and if they were coming from the other direction they would kind of swerve over the middle line and flash their lights and yell profanities and I think a few things were thrown. Most of the riders on that particular event back in 2005 experienced something. Um, Some actually got physically assaulted. Somebody reached out slapped them as they went by. I've never had that kind of thing happen since. For the most part, we've experienced very good people at night.
0: Of course, it's not just people that you come across when you're riding through back roads in the wee hours.
1: Wildlife. Some of our riders doing routes around here have been spotting mountain lions. And I've seen one. It was just after daybreak and I'm just looking around at the hills and I looked up at the side of the hill to the west of us and I saw this enormously long animal just strolling through on the hillside. One of the riders on 128, you know, back between Boonville and Cloverdale, the route that we cover, had been riding up the hill and he spotted glowing eyes that were set kind of far apart. So it made him realize that that was a pretty big head that was owning those eyes. And I think there was a little bit of audio involved in that. You know, he, I think he heard a growl and um, turned around and went straight downhill because that was the quickest way to get out of there. He went, turned around and went back. He may have waited until he had other people to ride with. And you know, so as a group, you go through there. There's, uh, of course, a lot of deer and there's skunks. We see a lot of the night hunting birds, owls at night, which is pretty cool. Often you're, you're only gonna hear the animals and you'll hear something crashing through the brush off to the side of the road and, and you wonder if it's going to run out in front of you, but for the most part, it's just what you're hearing. Coming into one of these towns that you know, you know the town, but it's a different place when it's in daylight than it is during the night.
2: Something that maybe people often overlook is how beautiful the transitions are between night and day. Like, not just the sunset, but like way after sunset, you know, sort of the the kind of last light and the very first light. There's this moment when you realize that it's actually no longer completely dark, right? And you sort of start seeing gradations of orange and pink and so on that are really sort of spectacular. And there's a very memorable instance of that actually on this last PBP, where um, on the morning of the last day, I was riding together with two friends and we were descending in this kind of broad valley it was sort of grassy with trees spaced somewhat far apart and there was this like layer of ground fog that seemed to hang like just below the tops of the trees and the road was such that we were like a little bit above the fields and so you know there was this kind of very pale pastel colors from the you know pre-dawn light and then these Bumps that were the trees rising out of the fog. It was a very cool, you know, unusual thing.
0: As the sun fades, so too do many of the visual features of the ride. The focus shifts from landscape to other people.
1: And during the nighttime, I'm usually riding with somebody else. People spread out across the road a bit more and uh, ride side by side and one of the things that happens is that if you're riding slower it's a lot easier to have a conversation while you're riding and so people tell a lot more stories during the night time and it helps you keep awake for one thing it teaches you a lot about that other person you know what, what's funny to them what experiences did they go through to get to this point where they're riding with me through the night and uh, that's that's one of the high points of riding at night
0: At some point, thoughts turn inward.
1: There's a lot more storytelling at night, but sometimes there are long periods where there's not much talking going on at all, where everybody's sort of in their own heads and thinking about stuff. And I sure do think a lot more about other stuff and work things out.
2: Sometimes I find myself basically having conversations with people, like i you know, there's like some friend who's like far away or, or relative or something, and. I'll just like imagine a conversation in my head, I do a lot of that. Sometimes it's just sort of zoning out and kind of looking at the scenery and so on. You know, Obviously, if it's a very dark night, there's not actually that much to see and that's, that's actually not a great situation to be in. And also in terms of alertness, it makes it hard to be alert. But if it's a full moon night or, or close to a full moon, you know, more than a kind of half moon, then it can just be quite beautiful to look around and sort of see, you know, have a different perspective on, on the landscape.
0: The most difficult aspect of the longer rides, by far, is the lack of sleep. Each rider must figure out what works best for them, whether that's finding a place to catch a few hours, a few minutes, or just to lean against a tree.
1: I think you have to learn which kind of person you are. And the fastest I've done a 600K is a little over 28 hours. There's a 40-hour time limit. There are some people that are so fast that you know they're going to finish in 24 hours and 24 hours really isn't that hard. I've personally sort of decided that on a 600k I don't want to stop and sleep because it's hard for me to sleep somewhere other than my bed. So, here's the the experience that convinced me that I was not a uh, person to take a break and sleep. I was riding with two friends on the Fort Bragg 600k and we went out to Fort Bragg and then came back to the campground and I convinced them to stop because I said, I, I really wanna sleep. So they were okay with that. They said, okay, well, we'll hang out for a little bit. And at first they were saying, nah, we're just gonna stay up and stay awake. And it ended up that I stayed awake the entire time listening to them snore. I could not fall asleep and I finally woke them up because I was just too frustrated. I, you know, There was no way that I was gonna get any substantive sleep got a little bit of rest laying down, but it wasn't quite the same. So we packed up and then left and uh, finished the ride. And I found out that I could ride through the night like that.
2: I tend not to sleep because I hate waking up. You are know, on a long distance ride, you have to sleep, but you don't want to sleep that long because you're looking at the clock. So you end up sleeping, you know, three hours and then you wake up and you feel terrible. You just feel like your mouth has this like horrible taste in it and you're kind of dizzy and when you wake up you're often sort of cold and shivery and it's just like a kind of that is like an aspect of rendering you know there's like that moment when you wake up and it's just like you really don't want to be there so in general uh, especially on the shorter events I opt for no sleep I just like ride straight through uh, and it just, I just feel much better and and it's frankly just much easier
0: if you are going to sleep, there's the problem of where to do it.
1: Well, two different things. On PBP, over in France, there'll be gymnasiums where you can, you give a, a three euro and you get a cot or something, and you're in a big gym with a whole bunch of people snoring. All the cots were full, and so uh, we just had a table in the cafeteria, and
2: like one person slept on the floor under the table, and the other person, I think, just like lay his head down on the table. And I found three chairs and I sort of lay my body across the three chairs and tried to sleep that way. And We we did that for about two hours. It was not the best sleep, but, you know, it did the trick.
1: One of the favorite places for people to stop and sleep is post offices, these rural post offices. You know, sometimes it gets really cold at night, so what people do is they go to the recycling bin and they get all this paper out of there and they tuck it underneath them or they, you know, they'll sleep on a bunch of catalogs or something. Somebody chose to use the, uh, the doormat as a blanket and spend a few hours that way, getting some rest and uh, warming up a little bit. I know of one guy that would bring a sleeping bag with him and he would just find a convenient place in a ditch and pull it out and go to sleep for a little bit and then pack up after a few hours and move on. In some of the control towns, you know, you just find a spot on the ground and put something over your eyes and just lay down and go to sleep.
0: Randonneurs have lots of tricks for staying awake, though, ranging from caffeine pills to telling stories.
2: It is uh, easier with company. It's also easier with music. You know, obviously, riding with headphones is unsafe. Uh, what I found at night is I put a, a single headphone into uh, my right ear, like the ear that is sort of facing not the road, so I can sort of hear cars approaching, and uh, that often helps with alertness. (laughs) It's kind of embarrassing, but I usually listen to sort of, uh, you know, high school-era hair metal. It is music that I don't really listen to at any other time. That's worked for me on, like, solo 600Ks, like if I'm sort of by myself in the middle of the night then I'll put on sort of loud, heavy metal music in in one ear. (laughs) And, you know, thereby leading to sort of asymmetric hearing loss. It's strange because there's a very sort of specific time period, you know, between sort of 1 and 3 a.m. when I found that alertness becomes a real challenge. But then before that and after that, you're often quite alert. I think the combination of, you know, being out in the fresh air and sort of having a elevated heart rate and, and so on, um, all of that kind of helps keep you awake, but there are these sort of witching hours in the middle of the night. And it's always a compromise you know, between sort of keeping going and putting oneself in too much danger because of lack of, you know, so there have been times when I have just gone off the bike and like laid down on the grass or whatever because I felt that I could, you know, even with the uh, metal music or whatever, I, I could not stay awake and you know, that's just the way it is.
0: Figuring out when it's time to find that ditch to lie down in can be a tricky thing. Sometimes, though, there are some pretty clear cues.
2: When I notice myself nodding off, right, like you, you'll have this moment where your eyes momentarily close. A lot of people probably have that while driving, right? Like you're driving, you're like, oh, I'll just make it to the next town or something. And then you realize, wow, I'm really like endangering myself here. You just pull over, and it's that same thing. Sometimes at night you have these like bizarre... Sometimes not positive experiences. I remember heading north of Alturas at night after having been riding for a little over 24 hours, and there's this long straight section, you know, through the desert there. And I kind of started to look like there were there were these lights in the distance, and I could not, for the life of me, figure out what they were. I really thought it was very strange. I was like, well, you know, I don't believe in UFOs, but like, is there a UFO in front of me? And you're not quite coherent, and you're sort of I don't know, it's like this sort of strange, almost disembodied state, and eventually, the light seemingly very quickly grew very big and sort of flashed past me, and I realized it was a car going the other way. I did not feel all that sleepy. To the best of my knowledge, I did not actually fall asleep. You know, my eyes didn't close or anything, but I just, like, realized that something in my brain was, like, not processing depth correctly. One of the things that happened is the, um, the double yellow in the middle of the road, it, it sort of lifted itself off the pavement and it sort of became this ribbon just off of the asphalt. My depth perception was really off and, um, you know, I think if something like that were happening to me today, I would probably just stop. But, uh, but this was seven years ago and I was maybe <clears throat> a little bit more, you know, incrementally more reckless. You I was mean, was like, as long as I am aware of the fact that this is strange, I can just keep going. and sort of consciously compensate for whatever weird thing is happening in my visual system.
0: No matter how much randonneurs may appreciate the unique aspects of riding long country roads through the darkness, the rising sun almost always seems to bring a sigh of relief.
1: People that are getting sleepy as they're riding through the night, one of the things that works best for them is sunrise, so as soon as the sun rises, they'll get perked up. You
2: know, especially in summer, which is when most of these rides happen. You know, way before the sun comes up, but the first sort of lightening of the sky happens right after these sort of witching hours. You know, where you are most at risk of falling asleep. And so there's always this feeling of like, oh, I made it through the night. Those last couple hours weren't that cool, but now the sky is becoming clear, and, and at that point, you sort of know you've made it because you're not going to fall asleep when the light is shining.
0: A very particular kind of fun for a particular kind of person. The stories I heard from Rob and Max intrigued me, delighted me, and terrified me. And while they left me with no desire to ride hundreds of miles on a bike with no sleep, I was compelled to go deeper. Join me next time to discover the lengths that randonneurs will go to to support each other, and just how freaky things can get 600 miles into a ride on the edge of a dark road in France. Here's a clip.
2: Even when you're out of your mind, you have to be able to realize you're out of your mind and just keep going anyway, and realize when you shouldn't keep going. That's the
1: hard part. So I've been awake for 50 hours, and um, that night, things started to get a little funny in my brain. Not sure where, where I was. I wasn't sure I was in France. And uh, I'm not sure who I was writing with, who these people were. And, but I started to feel paranoid that they
0: were sabotaging me somehow. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Find out more about the other music in this episode at nocturnepodcast.org. Thanks to HelloFresh for supporting Nocturne. Go to HelloFresh.com and use promo code NOCTURNE. Thanks to listener Andrew Rogers, who let us know about randonneering and thought it would be a good topic for Nocturne. If you have a story idea, email us at hello at nocturnepodcast.org. Thank you to our supporters on Patreon. You help keep the light on in the tiny closet where I'm recording this narration. If you're not a supporter yet, you can become one at patreon.com nocturnepodcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're Nocturne Podcast. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping at night? Do you lie in bed getting more and more anxious that sleep is just not coming? Check out a podcast called Sleep With Me by Drew Ackerman. Drew uses his amazing boredom superpowers to lull you into sleep. I've never made it through a whole episode, and that's the whole point. Listen on iTunes or go to sleepwithmepodcast.com. Nocturne is proud to be a member of the audio storytelling family The Herd. Check out Neighbors from Jacob Lewis, a show about what connects us to each other. Find out about all the shows in The Herd at theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. Thanks for listening.